Recent events have drawn renewed attention to the ways in which educators' racial biases may influence how they treat their students, perhaps even at a subconscious level. Now, a new study published in Education Next provides the clearest evidence to date that racial bias can in fact affect how teachers evaluate student work. The findings are troubling, but they also point to a potential solution, using a clear rubric to limit the scope for subjectivity when assigning grades. I'm Marty West, editor of Education Next, and my guest today is David Quinn. David's an assistant professor of education at the University of Southern California's Rossier School of Education and author of How to Reduce Racial Bias in Grading, an article that's on the cover of the winter 2021 issue of the journal and is available now at educationnext.org. David, welcome back to the EdNext podcast. Hi, Marty. Thanks. It's great to be back. So the core of your new study is an elegant little experiment designed to elicit evidence of racial bias in how teachers evaluate student work. Can you describe that experiment for us? Sure. So the goal was to see um, the role that uh, grading scales may be playing in eliciting racial bias in teachers' evaluations of student work. And so I conducted a web-based experiment with um, over 1,500 teachers that were um, recruited through Qualtrics survey panels. And teachers were told that uh, they were uh, participating in a study to understand how uh, teachers evaluate student work. So they um, were randomly assigned to receive one of two different versions of a student writing sample. And they were told that the writing sample was produced by a student in the fall of second grade in response to a prompt to write about their weekend. There was uh, one key difference uh, between the two versions of the writing sample, and that was uh, the name that the author of the writing sample used for their brother and the brother's friend. So um, one version uh, used names that were to signal a black student. One version used names that were meant to signal a white student. Uh, so th these were names taken from the Dunbar and Levitt list of most racially distinct names. And um, in, in the uh, black student version of the writing sample, um, it read, uh, I was with my brother Deshaun and his friend Aaron, but it was a great day to be a boy at home. And then in the white student version, uh, Deshaun was replaced with Connor and uh, Aaron was replaced with Scott. And then teachers were asked to evaluate uh, the quality of the writing on two different scales. And so as a teacher, I'm randomly assigned either to the version that includes Deshaun and Aaron or Connor and Scott, is that right? That's right. And we're interested in how this affects the grades that teachers assign. Before we get to that, where do you get the idea for the experiment? Well, the idea um, I'm, first comes from literature on um, teachers' racial biases. We know that um, teachers, like uh, most Americans, have implicit racial biases and that they manifest in the classroom in various ways that are detrimental for students. Um, so I, I, I wanted to understand whether um, having a, a rubric with clearly defined uh, evaluation criteria might help to mitigate the effects of teachers' racial bias in their evaluation of students. And uh, the, the design in particular with uh, you know, the, the use of, of names to signal uh, the student's racial identity comes from you know, a, a, a long list of uh, sort of similar studies that have been done in education and economics where um, researchers used you know, what's called audit methods to, um, to signal the identity of somebody in a hiring scenario. And so your particular focus here was uh, jumping ahead a bit on exactly how teachers were told to evaluate or grade the student's work. 
before we get to that, how about just the basic findings of the experiment? What was the effect of being assigned to the Deshaun and Aaron version rather than the Connor and Scott version? Yeah, so the, um, the effects were what I ha had hypothesized uh, at the start of the study, which was that when teachers were randomly assigned the version of the writing sample from the black student, on a vague um, grade level evaluation scale, teachers on average gave lower ratings to the version from the black student compared to the version from the white student. So they were less likely to say that the student was doing grade level work on the basis of this one writing sample. Exactly, yeah. So um, teachers overall across the sample were about five percentage points less likely to say that the Deshaun version of the writing sample was on grade level or above compared to the Connor version. Even though, as I said, the samples were identical, the only difference being the name of the brother given in the, in the writing sample. So that's pretty direct evidence of racial bias influencing how teachers are evaluating students' work. My understanding, though, is that you also measured teachers' bias directly using two different methods. Can you tell us a bit about that and what you found? Yeah, so I um, measured teachers' implicit um, racial stereotypes and their explicit racial attitudes. Um, and I was hypothesizing that teachers who showed um, stronger implicit biases and explicit biases on these measures would also show larger magnitudes of bias on, on the evaluation of the student work. So uh, the implicit measure was a modified version of the implicit association test, which um, many people are probably familiar with. Um, I modified it so that it was measuring teachers' associations between student race, so black or white, and student competence, so incompetence or competence. And um, on average, teachers show um, pro-white or anti-black bias on the implicit measure. Um, I also gave uh, the, as the explicit measure of bias, the traditional uh, feelings thermometer that uh, is used in psychology and um, political science, uh, just asking respondents on a scale uh, one to 11, uh, how warm or cold do you feel towards African-Americans and European-Americans? And then I took the difference between those ratings uh, as the measure of bias. And as I understand it on the explicit measure, you didn't find much in the way of statistically significant differences on average, but, but when you measured implicit bias, there were differences. On average, there was a substantial pro-white or anti-black bias, okay. and that varied a lot across teachers, right? And so this lets you look at whether there's evidence that teachers who show higher levels of implicit bias, are they the ones who are most biased in their evaluation of student work, or is that not what you found? That, yeah, that's, um, to my surprise, that's not what I found. So I, I was hypothesizing at the beginning that when teachers show stronger implicit bias on, on you know, the IAT measure, that those teachers would also have larger magnitudes of bias when using the grade level, uh, the vague grade level evaluation scale. So um, I fit a model interacting their implicit bias with the experimental condition, and there was no significant interaction. So the magnitude of bias um, did not vary depending on the implicit bias score of the teacher. And the same was true for the explicit bias measure as well. What do you make of that finding? I know there's a large debate over the predictive validity of the implicit mm -hmm. association tests that you're using to measure implicit bias here. Do these results speak to that debate or how much should we make of them? 
Yeah, it, it's certainly true. There's there's an active debate now in the literature on uh, about implicit bias and you know how how it can be measured, if at all. Um, you know, there are a few possibilities I think um, to explain my findings. One is just simply a statistical power. Um, so I, I was powered to de detect an interaction effect of about 0.11 standard deviations. So it's it's possible that um, you know I'm that the, the the true effects are smaller, and I'm underpowered to find that. Um, it also could just be, as you said, that the, the implicit bias measures that we have available to us now are just not especially good at measuring um, uh, stable traits that people hold over time, uh, stable uh, implicit biases. And it may be more about you know, the particular tasks that people are engaged in. So if, if uh, teachers show on an automatic time classification test like the IAT, higher levels of, of bias, that might not necessarily generalize to another task like evaluating a piece of student work with a vague grading scale. Now I've cut you off a couple of times before letting you get all the way to the punchline of the study, what you were really most interested in testing at the outset, which was whether the extent of bias in teachers evaluation of student work depended on exactly how they were doing the evaluation. So tell us about uh, that aspect of the study. Sure. So uh, the, the theory on, on implicit bias says that there are various aspects of a context that will influence, um, in this case, how likely it is that a teacher will exhibit racial bias in the evaluation of, of student work. And one um, important aspect uh, theory predicts would be the, the actual evaluation scale that they're using. So the the more vague the criteria are, if they're not specified beforehand, the more room there is for teachers' subjectivity to come into play when they're evaluating the student work. And so the, the more likelihood there is that their implicit biases are going to influence the evaluation that they give of student work. So um, if a, a teacher you know, sees a, a, a piece of, uh, of writing from a, a Black student, they might be more likely to give it a lower grade compared to what they would have given the same piece of writing from a white student um, because implicit biases, stereotypes are being conjured up in their mind. If a, um, the, the criteria for evaluation are clearly specified beforehand, then uh, teachers are forced to compare the piece of writing to the clearly specified criteria. There's less room for subjectivity to come into play. And so there's less room for implicit biases to fill in the blanks when they're evaluating student work. And so you had teachers use two different grading systems. One you already described sort of just saying whether the student was doing grade level work. What did the other one look like? Just how detailed a rubric was this? Yeah, so this rubric was, so given that the, the writing sample was uh, from purportedly from a second grader, uh, I took a, um, an actual writing rubric intended for second grade work for um, uh, personal narratives on writing. And so it was a, a four point rubric um, that evaluates the extent to which the student, re, uh, how well the student recounts an event. So going from weak to strong, the uh, categories were that the student fails to recount an event, attempts to recount an event, recounts an event with some detail, or provides a well-elaborated recount of the event. So here, the, the, the difference between this rubric and the vague grade level scale are one, that uh, the rubric is specifying what dimension the teacher should be evaluating the work along. 
and then it clearly specifies what the performance criteria look like um, in that dimension. And so you find when teachers are directed to focus in on that one specific dimension that the very same teachers who had exhibited bias when using the more subjective grade level standard, that bias goes away. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. So even though teachers on the vague grade level uh, evaluation tool showed bias against the block student on the um, rubric with the specified criteria, there were no differences across conditions in uh, how uh, teachers evaluated work. So whether they got the Deshaun version or the Connor version, teachers were rating that um, uh, almost identically on the um, clearly specified rubric. So it'd be fun to jump immediately to the implications of this finding for policy and practice. I imagine that before we do so, you're going to tell me that there's some caveats that we should keep in mind. Uh, so what, what, are, what are the important qualifications before we rush to embracing rubrics as the solution? Yeah, well, there, there are a few important uh, caveats. So one, of course, this was um, a web-based experiment. So um, we, we can't say um, the extent to which these findings generalize to classroom settings when teachers are evaluating uh, their own students who they have relationships with. So it may be that these results are more relevant to informing scenarios such as um, you know, teachers who are, are scoring um, uh, state writing exams and there's something about the student's identity that might be signaled through the, the test or you know, SAT essays, um, GRE essays. Um, but you know, there, there also is um, quasi-experimental evidence showing that teachers do um, uh, evaluate their own students in a biased manner. And so rubrics could potentially um, be useful in those settings as well. Um, but you know, this study doesn't speak directly to that. Um, another um, caveat, of course, is that this, um, the, the experiment involved just you know, one example of, of student writing from a second grader. And so um, it will be useful to conduct additional research to find out more about you know, different kinds of, of rubrics and how um, they may or may not be effective at mitigating bias, um, looking at different subject uh, matter and uh, different you know, grade levels of students and how um, bias may play out with uh, different grading scales in those different settings. Those caveats aside, I'll admit that your study has made me increasingly open to the value of using more formal rubrics in my own evaluation of student work. Great. I wonder if that's the same for you. It's something I've always sort of resisted in part to allow myself more flexibility. I think perhaps ironically in fairness to students to be able to value different parts of what they produce. But you've made me start to rethink that. And I wonder if that's the case for you as well. Yeah, you know, I mean, I being familiar with the, the literature on um, implicit bias and, um, you know, grading bias, I one, one thing that I had experimented with in the past in, you know, evaluating my own students was to use um, blinded to have students blind their work. And that's uh, shown to be effective at mitigating bias, but it also has the drawback that, you know, you can't sort of um, track student progress over time and you can't give personalized feedback. And so using the rubric is a way to, you know, avoid having the anonymized work so that you have kind of that more, you know, personal relationship with the student and, and the, the feedback that you're giving them while also making sure that 
um, you have those guardrails in place that are making sure that you're sticking to uh, the, the, the criteria that are important for the assignment. My guest today has been David Quinn, Assistant Professor at the University of Southern California's Rossier School of Education and author of How to Reduce Racial Bias in Grading, available now at educationnext.org. David, thanks for being part of the podcast. Great. Thanks so much, Marty. You've been listening to the Ednext Podcast. If you like what you've heard, be sure to subscribe on whatever platform you use so that you don't miss an episode. And especially if you're listening through Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review. It helps us find more listeners and more listeners to find us.